Hello, friends. I'd like to welcome you to Inside the Writer's Cafe. I'm Cheryl Nason. Now, our show features not only the hottest authors, but introduces our listeners to exciting new authors. They talk not only about themselves, but they also talk about their latest work. I agree with Thomas Helm. He once said, My test of a good novel is dreading to begin the last chapter. The novel featured on today's show meets that criteria perfectly. Did you know that there was a tragic love triangle between the famous composer Robert Schumann, his wife and extraordinary pianist Clara Schumann, and the famous composer Johannes Brahms? Gives you a whole different view of classical music, doesn't it? Well, stay tuned and learn more. Bowman Desai joins me today to talk about his wonderful, compelling novel, Trio. He's published fiction and nonfiction in the United States, the UK, and India. His work has won awards from the Illinois Art Council, Stand Magazine, and New Millennium, among others. He taught fiction at Truman College, Roosevelt University, and the University of Southern Maine. Bowman, I can't tell you how wonderful it is to be able to say, welcome, Bowman. It's such a pleasure. Well, thank you very much. You're such an interesting person. As I read through your bio, of course, I've shortened it considerably. The story that you have in your bio about your first publication I thought was so interesting with this mysterious woman. Let's tell our listeners. I think they would find that interesting as well. Ah, sure. Um, this was in the 1980s or so, and I was having a very difficult time getting published. I was getting very frustrated when uh, somehow the editor-in-chief of a magazine called Debonair, which was sort of the Indian playboy. I had never seen naked Indian women before. <laughs> I saw this magazine and my stories were being published in this magazine and I was very happy of course and at one point the editor even wrote to me to say um, please write more stories while Roman Desai Reservoir is empty which which did wonders for my, my psyche as a writer. And when I finally got back to Mumbai and I spoke with this gentleman, he was at that time he was a, a reporter for the Times of India. And I asked him, I said, how did you know about these stories? How did you get these stories? And he said, you don't know? And I said, no. And he said, well, there's this very elegant elderly woman who came up to me and she gave me these stories and she said, I think you should publish these. And so he did. And he didn't know who she was. I don't know who she was. And to this day, we have no confirmation about this at all. But that was how it got started. Now, I think it might have been the mother of a friend of mine who knew what I was doing. And when I asked her about it, though, she said, no, absolutely not. Now, I don't know if she was just being cagey or politic or what at this point, but um, I think it was her, but I don't know for sure. I love it. I love the mystery. I love the fact that you um, you have this mysterious dark woman in your background that... that My angel. Oh, I love that part of the story, and I thought, what a wonderful, unique, that's almost a novel 
in itself to be able to write something like that. Yeah, but it has no ending. <laughs> I know, but it just, the mystery, I think, is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. I almost hope you never find out who she is. Just I probably won't now. It's been too many years. I think, well, this person I thought it might be is not even, she's dead now, as a matter of fact. So uh, even if it was somebody else, chances are they're no longer with us either. So I, I, I'll just leave it up to Providence at this point. I'm very happy with it. Exactly. You got published, and that was the end result, and that's yeah. been wonderful, right? Right. Now, how did you find the, the story for trio it's it's the story of robert and clara schumann and johannes brahms how did you find this story well um in 1988 when i published my first novel i started looking around for ideas for other novels and you know things to write about and brahms was my favorite uh, composer i listened to a lot of brahms and even when i was going through my my frustrated period. It was the music that would keep me going. I say frustrated, but it was pretty close to depression, and it was a very difficult time. And Brahms sort of pulled me out of that. And at one point, and I live in Chicago, but we made a weekend trip to visit a friend in Columbus, Ohio, and we went to a bookstore, and I saw a pictorial biography of the life of Brahms. So I picked it up, and I brought it back to Chicago, but I put it on the shelf, and then I forgot about it for another five years or so when I came across another book on Brahms in a used bookstore here in Chicago. And that's when I remembered that I already had a book on Brahms. And I told myself that if I were to buy this second book, it would be with the intention of writing something about Brahms. But even as I said that to myself, I knew that if I didn't buy it then and there, I was going to come back for it later. So the decision to write about Brahms had been made be without my consent, in effect. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I just started buying everything I could find on Brahms. And the more I read about Brahms, I, I have everything that's been written in the English language on Brahms, aside from the musicology. But the more I read about his life, the more I realized that there was no understanding of his psychology without an understanding of his friendship with the Schumanns, both Robert and Clara. He met them on the 30th of September, 1853, and Robert almost, they were both enamored of his work right from the start. And almost immediately, Robert wrote this article on Brahms, welcoming him into the musical firmament in such glorious terms that well, he called him he didn't call him the second Beethoven then and there but <laughs> it was tantamount to doing the same thing and uh, it was it was just six months later that Robert um, he uh, committed himself to an asylum he was bipolar what we would call bipolar now but uh, at that point there was very little understanding of how this worked and Brahms was very much in love with Clara he was younger than her by about he was younger than her by 14 years but when he first met her she was also well, she was one the wife of Robert Schumann who was the greatest composer at that point two she was the greatest woman pianist of that century three she was the mother of seven with an eighth on the way at that point and he was just bowled over at that point he didn't really think much of women pianists. Nobody did in those days. The biggest compliment you could pay a woman was to say that she played like a man. <laughs> and then, yes. 
And when Clara played, he was so amazed. And that was part of what made him fall in love with her, too. But there were so many other mitigating factors as well. And when Robert finally incarcerated himself, Clara was not allowed to see him for two and a half years that he was in the asylum before he died. He died in the asylum. And she got to see him on the very last day before he died, actually. Mm -hmm. And during this time, because she wasn't allowed to see him, the doctors were afraid that uh, she would excite him too much. And Brahms became a sort of an errand boy between these two. He would take messages from Clara to Robert and from Robert to Clara. On the one hand, he was very much in love with Clara. On the other hand, he was very indebted to Robert. He He was in love, in a sense, with Robert, too. So he had this huge conflict, and that was when I realized that they had to become a part of the story as much as Brahms himself. And so I read up everything I could on Robert and Clara, and their story is even more compelling in some ways, in, in important ways, than Brahms's, because Clara's father, who trained her as a pianist, was adamant that she should marry somebody in the, um, among the nobility, you know, an earl or a count, because she was in that, uh, she played for emperors when she was a child. Was she beautiful? And, uh, she wasn't conventionally beautiful, no. Um, you can see even from the pictures. But uh, that was beside the point even. And in fact, Robert was in love with other women pianists also who were more beautiful. But it was Clara that won the day for him. And finally, um, they had to go to court to get permission to marry. They got married on the day before Clara's 21st birthday. Now, on her 21st birthday, she could have done what she wanted. She didn't need the permission of her father. But Robert, at that point, was thumbing his nose at her father, saying, look, I have control over her now. She she will do what I ask her, not what you want. So he was sort of needling uh, her, her father as well. And that story is absolutely astonishing because uh, her father used to spit on Robert in the street. He threatened to shoot him. I mean, this was amazing what went on. And this takes up the first 200 pages of the book. It's a story in itself. Now, they were really, when we look at the Schumanns and we look at Brahms, they were equivalent to celebrities, rock stars, if you will. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I put a, I put a post on Facebook once about Beethoven, and I said uh, he was the Elvis, Beatles, and the Rolling Stones of classical music. <laughs> he was that astonishing. And that's not an exaggeration. That's what's so astonishing, too. So, yes, and these people were in the same line. And, and Liszt, of course, was the Elvis of his time, and he played up to it. And all these other composers, Liszt, Mendelssohn, Chopin, um, Wagner, Tchaikovsky later, Bruckner, they are all part of the story because at least these five, um, Liszt, Chopin, Schumann, Wagner, and uh, missing one here, Chopin, Anyway, there were five of them who were, or Mendelssohn, that was the last one. They were born between 1809 and 1813, all five of them, and they lived, they lived so close to each other, except for Verdi, who was 1813, but he of course was in Italy. But it's astonishing that these composers, who pretty much formed the, uh, the romantic tradition were friends. They knew each other. They visited clubs together. They had evenings together. They played together. 
And so, of course, all of these composers became part of the story as well. And sometimes, just to get a single scene right, I would read two to three biographies of each of these composers as well to make sure I didn't have any problems with the chronology. And um, so it, the book just kept growing at that point. I wasn't expecting all this to come into it, but the more I wrote, the more I realized what needed to be done. And, um, well, so it grew. Well, and it sounds like when you're describing this, the the salons in, in Paris, when Picasso and all of his contemporaries would gather and talk about art, and then the Algonquin uh, group in, in New York, when all of the, the journalists would gather and they would talk, and there were all the famous names, and they were all the people that, in hindsight, we view as being extraordinary. And it's it boggles the imagination to think about conversations between those people. How, oh, I, know. I, I know. I mean, can you imagine? Well, I had to imagine them. I did imagine them for the book. You know? And, well, see, what helped a great deal also was I have so much of the correspondence. The Brahms Clara correspondence alone is about a thousand pages. And everything went into those correspondences. Also, they kept diaries, and everything went into those diaries. Clara's diaries are even longer than her correspondence with Brahms. And so I had all the information I needed. I just needed to put it in a form that would be easily readable and, you know, had had some kind of consistency all the way through. And so my problem wasn't so much imagining what happened as much as finding a way to make it all uh, smooth. You Give know, it a heartbeat. Give it yeah. a heartbeat and breath sounds. Yes, very much so. Because these and, these people are names that we've heard. I used to be an English teacher, and when I was teaching literature, that was one of the things that I would try to do. When you're talking about Shakespeare to a group of high school seniors, it's flat as a piece of cardboard and means nothing. So how do you give that breath sounds and a heartbeat, and how do you make that a real person and interesting? Right. And that's what you were doing, and that's what you've done well, yes, in this exactly. novel. I put a lot of the correspondence into the conversation on the uh, assumption that they often they must have spoken about what they had written about, and conversation is more dramatic than correspondence, too. So a lot of the dialogue even comes directly from the correspondence. And... Um, uh, I couldn't have done without the correspondence. That you know, even I have Clara and um, Robert's marriage diaries. They used to write alternately. You know, Robert would write one night, then Clara would write the next night. They actually have an S in the margin for the nights that they had uh, sexual relations. You're kidding! You see I, no, you see what I mean in terms of the information that you have among these things. That's it's intimate. Just, uh, Bowman, that's intimate knowledge. Well, it was a diary. I suppose everybody wasn't supposed to read it, but with people like the Schumanns, of course it was going to be out for everyone finally. Wow. And Yes. So, And I, I should add also, I call this a novel biography because I think of it as a biography for people who hate biographies for the... <laughs> footnotes and the commentaries and things like that. And I call it a novel for people who hate novels, who only want to read about real things. And so this is real things. I wrote what I knew. I, I, I researched what I couldn't, what I didn't know. And I imagined what was simply not available through the research, because my research is as complete as possible. There are over a hundred books in the bibliography. 
So, um, yeah, so that's a novel biography. And you, I'm not sure whether it's a new term, but that's what I went with. And I think it makes sense. Historic, historic novel also came into my head, but you're absolutely right. Now, you've done a compendium in the back that sets your book into historical perspective because there were all kinds yeah. of things that were going on at the same time. Yes, I, I, I inserted a chronology at the end, which goes from the birth of Handel in 1685 to the death of Richard Strauss in 1949. And the main story in the book goes from 1828 to 1897, but I just filled out the edges as well. And within that uh, space, 1828 to 1897, I inserted the chapter headings of the book. I think there are 83 chapters altogether to show the parallel courses between the story in the book and the history of the times as well. And also during this time, of course, Germany, initially it was a conglomerate of like 400 dukedoms and principalities. And during the 1860s, through wars with initially Denmark, then Austria, and finally the Franco-Prussian War in 1871, it became one nation under Bismarck. So the growth of Germany in the background also is a part of the story. And, you know, there were so many revolutions in the meantime. In 1848, there were revolutions all over Europe. And at one point, Clara was just absolutely astonishing. The, the, uh, Dresden, where they were living at the time, was in flames because of these insurrectionists. And she was outside the city for a while. But she went into the city by night to rescue her children, to pick up her children. And she walked with them through the flames, through this flaming city, back to safety. She left Robert outside because if Robert had been found, he would have been pulled into the service with the soldiers and Robert was already going a little crazy at that point he was very catatonic so she left him out of it altogether but she showed immense courage astonishing and she, she wasn't just a great pianist she was just such an astonishing woman in uh, in so many ways uh, <laughs> I get I get lost for words sometimes when I talk about her I know I could you're so passionate about this period and about them and about the book and you know the, the thing that was going through my mind as you were talking about Robert was often with great creativity comes madness that that happens in yes. yeah in yes, so but many I don't like to say one is necessarily they're not they're not co you know there are plenty of mad people who have no creativity to them I did say often people who are perfectly sane I too. did say often well, I didn't say always I said yeah, often yeah. <laughs> it happens this is so fascinating you and I could sit here and talk for even longer amount of time. If our, if we've piqued the interest of our listeners, they can go to Amazon.com, of course, and they can put in your name, which is Bowman, B-O-M-A-N, Desai, D-E-S-A-I, and the title of the book is very simple. It's just Trio. So they can put in the word Trio by Bowman Desai and click on the little find feature and the book comes right up and it's available in paperback and I know it's available on Kindle. Where else is it available? It's also available as hardcover, actually. Oh, good. But, um, yeah, it's <laughs> um, it's available on the Barnes & Noble website. It's available through my website, which is just bowmandesai.com. 
And uh, any any major bookstore can get it for you as well. I've been running around Chicago um, asking various bookstores whether or not they have the book and whether they would be willing to stock it as well. But, of course, this needs to have wider implications than just Chicago. But uh, Amazon is perfect, and so is Barnes & Noble. In fact, Barnes & Noble, I was so happy. I went to one of them, and I asked them if they would have it. On. They already had it on the shelf. I don't understand how that happened. But they did. So their buyer must have found it somewhere, I imagine. Wonderful. That's how it came about, yes. Now, you mentioned the website, and if our listeners want to go to the website, they can find out about the book there. Is there a way for them to contact you from the website? Yes. Um, you, know, you know, I don't even remember, but I'm pretty sure. Um, it's bowmandayside.com, and... Uh, I'm trying to draw it, pull it up right now, actually, but uh, yes, they should be able to contact me through the website. You also have a Facebook page, so if they wanted to yeah. find you on Facebook. Yes, Monday side, that would be it. And you're thinking about Twitter. You're not quite on Twitter yet, but they should sort of watch for you because you you have plans to become yeah. a, to get in a Twitter account and start tweets. Yeah. I have a friend who is on Twitter, and I need to talk with him about, he's also a writer, and I need to talk with him about how to set about doing this. So uh, I see I'm not, um, I'm going to insert my my um, my uh, my information on my website regarding the web, um, my email address. I'll put that in there. Okay, good. Okay. Now, Bowman, if you could sit down, with the listeners, and they've just finished your book. They closed it for the last time, and you could sit down and have a conversation with them. What would you hope that they took away from the book? Would it be simply entertainment? Would it be information about some interesting people, a love story? What do you want them to leave with? Well, um, you know, some... Uh, readers have actually read the book already, and my favorite response is, they said the book has made them happy. These were musicians primarily who said this, but this is this is a long book. It's about 600 pages, and two people told me they had read it twice, and another person said they were going to read it at least one more time, and this this is uh, entirely unexpected. Of course, they're happy with the information and all the rest of it as well. And the responses on Amazon have been just terrific as well. But I wasn't expecting them to say it made them happy. And that that was my favorite response, I have to say. Well, you have just been delightful. You're so articulate. You're so intelligent. You've done so much research. It has been an absolute delight to talk with you. Thank you for taking time out of your day to be our guest on Inside the Writer's Cafe. Thank you very much. Our time is up, and we'd like to thank you for yours. Remember, pick up a good book and read 